different. I'm kind of getting oriented. I realized last time I shared was about a year ago, and I realized I never sat down on the chair. I stood up here the whole time. I guess because I'm short, the table is about the right height, and I just stood. So I'm trying to assume the relaxed position of, uh, of sitting here in the chair. And I'm also feeling the cold hair on my or the cold air on my on my bald head here. So I don't need it as much as Steve does, I guess. Um, All right, so here we go. So uh, I do have a PowerPoint. This is the other new thing. I've never done a PowerPoint for, for church here either, so I did spend some time, try to put a few slides together, and we'll see if, see if we can roll here uh, as we get into a few things I want to share. So I was, I was talking with uh, my wife, Noelle, here briefly this morning, and, you know, when you prepare a message to share in a service with our, with our fellowship here. I guess there's a couple different ways to present, you know. Uh, sometimes there's the, the exposition style where you pick a passage and you go through word by word or verse by verse. Um, then then uh, there's, there's the traditional three-pointer, right, which I'm not doing. Um, and then there's what I'm going to do here this morning, which is a little different. And uh, this has grown out of, what I'm going to share this morning has grown out of really a number of conversations that have primarily occurred around my house. Um, For those of you who don't know, I kind of run like a youth hostel at my house. (laughs) There are young people coming and going all the time. Matter of fact, we had a random visitor last night. (laughs) So, uh, but what happens is it's really awesome. Young people are awesome. Um, you have really great opportunities to have really great conversations because there's so much going on in their lives. There's so many people they're interacting with. They've got so much energy. Um, and they've got questions, right? They've got questions. And they're trying to figure some things out, and, and it brings all kinds of interesting topics to the surface. And so um, combination of that with some, some sort of personal things I've been chewing on and some observations, um, we're going to go through a couple of uh, couple of thoughts here this morning that I hope are encouraging and challenging, and we're going to end on a high note. So you got to stay with me because there's a little bit of hard material I want to I want to touch on that I think is um, part of what we just have to do. We have to look look reality in the face. So, gentlemen in the back, am I am I live here? That's not my true north. I have a different... There, there's my true north. All right. Okay, we'll see if the clicker's working here. And we are not clicking. Could be user error. Okay. Well, we'll get started here. So we've had the theme true north this year, right? And I think it's a great theme um, for lots of reasons. But the compass... The compass doesn't lie, right? The compass is true. The compass doesn't change. And we are living in the midst of a day where not only is change everywhere, the understanding of reality itself is, is becoming more and more distorted. It really is. And so what I wanted to touch on here, starting with this idea of true north, um, God alone is true north, right? When we talk about true north, we're talking about 
one reality, one truth, right? And, and, and one source of all truth. As I was doing a little searching here, if you guys could hit the next slide. I guess we're going to do, do this verbally. There we go. Is that me or you? That was you. <laughs> there we go. Go back one. Did I do that? There we go. All right. Judah, hang with me, buddy. We'll get through it. All right, so I was doing, I was doing just a, a little bit of... Okay. I was searching for some, some images for the, for the slides here. And I ran across a different compass here, and it says, find your true north. See, user error. It's going to be a rough day, folks. All right. I am an engineer, really. Um, so find your true north. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that ironic? So that is the message of today, though, isn't it? Right? Find your reality. Find, find what's real for you. Find what you believe and make that true. And it's, it's, it's such a, a sinister twist on a truth. So, I, th- I believe what that is indicative of is, is we are living in a day that the intensity of spiritual warfare is ramping up. And so... Um, the war of our day is truth versus error, light versus darkness, good versus evil, right versus wrong, bitter versus sweet. I mean, we could come up with probably a long, long list of contrasts there, right? But our day is increasingly marked by, by spiritual warfare. And the reason I, I wanted to bring this up is that this has been a topic that is kind of we've touched on in some of our conversations at home um, with our young people, and it's been sort of accelerated through a couple of things that, that uh, we've seen lately. And that is, the, one of the marks of our day is, is deception and disillusionment. So, I've got some, some definitions here. Deception, the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid can be done for various reasons, such as personal gain, advantage, or protection. Some common forms of deception are lying, propaganda, camouflage, and, and trickery. And then disillusionment, feeling of disappointment akin to depression arising from the realization that something is not what it was expected or believed to be and possibly accompanied by philosophical angst from having one's beliefs challenged. Described as when the hard truth of reality makes you lose faith in your dreams and ideals. So that's, that's kind of a heady, wordy definition, and we're going we're gonna to look at some examples. Um, what it is not, well, th- this is kind of a funny one here. So this, <laughs> I just thought this was kind of funny. So let me get this straight. We're all emperor penguins? All of us? That makes no sense. Disillusionment. All right. <laughs> so why did I bring this up? Sorry for all the words on the screen here, but, um, and this is a little bit of stream of consciousness, so bear with me here. We're going to look at some specific scriptures here in a few minutes, but um, 
I am increasingly concerned about the, the pace of change, which, you know, we can't control that, right? It's, it's part of the culture. It's part of the time in which God has placed us, so we need not fear it. We need to only consider it, acknowledge it, think about it, think critically about it. And like the men of Issachar, understand the times and know what we ought to do. But there's this cultural move that, that seems to be gathering steam that is a move towards the rejection of, the canceling of, and the hostility towards truth. And, and, and in tandem with that, hand in hand, is this, this swell of anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-truth, anti-law, anti-reality. These, these concepts, these ideas are sort of, they're, they're in the air. They're, they're everywhere. Uh, and, th- and they're a mark of our day. And, th- and then there were, as, as you look at um, culture and, and government, society, etc., we're moving towards losses of liberties. Now, I don't want, I want to go into an extended commentary on, on news and culture and so forth, but it is important to sort of be aware of where things stand. Uh, you know, for what it's worth, I guess there was a couple of, of what I would consider positive Supreme Court decisions this week, so we can be thankful for that. But um, in general, these, these losses uh, of liberties, the, the upside-down condition of, of law and government, losses of values and morals that can leave us disillusioned, disoriented, and the scripture tells us that, that that's a result of not loving the truth. And I think that's a mark of our day, is that we're not culturally, when I say we culturally, are not fond of the truth. We're fond of exploring alternatives, <laughs> alternative realities, right? And so you say, well, what, what's really going on here? And this comes back to the spiritual warfare concept. And I threw a couple of verses up here specifically in regards to, to truth and the enemy of truth, which is our enemy, our enemy, Satan. So from John 8, uh, referring to Satan, referring to the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age has blinded, blinded eyes. And 2 Thessalonians 2 it talks about the coming of the lawless one with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. All right, so why, why is our generation experiencing disillusionment? And I say our generation because I don't think this is a young people problem. I think this is a living people problem. <laughs> this is, this is prob- perhaps, I mean, I can only speak... From, from the vantage point of being an American. I'm not well-versed and well-traveled like Brother Darren Hersick is. Um, I've only been out of the country one time, so I've, I've uh, spent my entire life here in the U.S. But, but we, culturally, are experiencing disillusionment. And, and so we, we have to ask the question, uh, and we'll get into some specifics here in a moment, but one of the things that brought this to mind is... Um, I know it was, I think it was, I was away the week that maybe this came out, but some of you all probably saw the, uh, you know, the documentaries, the docuseries by Amazon, right? The, the, uh, the one about the Duggars and how quickly 
the narrative and the story about one family and one ministry, they swept a really broad swath of Christianity all into the same, into the same bucket and painted all of Christendom with a pretty, pretty negative light. Um, so, you know, a couple of my kids had, had seen some of that, and I watched uh, about an episode and a half and uh, found, found there was a lot of things to consider there, things that, that we would do well to ponder. But uh, at the end of the day, we're seeing these, these iterations of disillusionment. And we, so, so we ask ourselves, why? What, what is going on? So we know we have the enemy of our souls, the prince of the power of the air, right? And, and what has happened with technology is now we have this idea of easy everywhere. Easy everywhere. And that's not my... My phrase, it comes from a, a book, um, TechWise Family, Easy Everywhere, but it's true, right? I mean, never before has there been a generation where we carry the world around in our pocket. And never before has a generation been afforded the privacy of having the world in my pocket. And who are you when no one's looking? Where are you when no one's looking? These... These are realities. These are realities we have to face. Uh, another, another observation, and, and again, this is just my, sort of my stream of consciousness here, but this, this idea of the elevation of feeling and experience as if that defines truth and reality. So, because I feel X, therefore it must be true, and therefore you must be Y. Right? So we have, we have, for example, hypersensitivity situations, right? Because someone reacts and feels a certain way, it must be reality, and therefore the other person is out of bounds, they're wrong, they should be, they should be, should be canceled, they should be shut down, etc. Um, and in some circles, this idea of, of how I feel um, in, in, in some Christian circles, it's gone so far as how I feel is, is how God feels, and that's what God wants. And so my feeling and, and the Holy Spirit get merged in their mind, and it's one and the same, when it may be completely opposite, right? And so we have to learn how to filter, how to discern, how to understand. We have to have roots. We have to have foundations, the spirit of our age is strong, and it's causing many to wander and question and explore. Uh, some people uh, follow wrong concepts or bad teaching, right? We're, we're, told, we're told to beware of false teachers, especially in the last days. Um, sometimes disillusionment is, is experienced because of, of pain. Pain's real, and pain can happen. Um, and, and coupled with that, if you're not, you know, m- culturally, we're not real great at addressing conflict. Uh, so that can add to it. And then this idea of choosing, choosing the hard right over the easy wrong. I could, there's a, there's a lot of thoughts in here, and I, I have to keep moving because I, I want to get to a couple of main points at the end. But there's, there's a lot of deep places we could go with any one of these bullets. But this idea of choosing, this idea of our wills, I don't know that we talk about our wills a whole lot, but God has given us a free will. And when it comes to, for example, um, when we're wronged, 
and we feel hurt, we have a choice. We have a choice to make. We're not, we're not victims of our feelings. We don't have to deny that they're there. We don't have to deny maybe that we were wronged, but we have a choice in how we respond. So sometimes doing the hard right is, is not done. It's, it's easier to do the easy wrong. Sometimes we're impatient. Um, and this was another quote I found. Um, this is what the culture is preaching to us, that, that the unmet promises of a broken world can be met with hope and humanity. So we've got, we've got some, some people in our culture who are dreaming really big dreams, and you start merging. I mean, sci-fi has almost become reality in some ways. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I don't even understand it. I'm going to touch on a couple more of these things that, that just kind of blow my mind. But with the, the rapid acceleration of technology, we think we're becoming like gods. Matter of fact, I heard one, one philosopher, um, he was on, on some uh, radio talk show. <clears throat> I don't remember what it was. But he, he made the comment that the idea of merging uh, AI with, with uh, the human mind means that we have outpaced the God of the Bible the hubris, the arrogance, the pride, right? It's, it's remarkable. Oops, wrong way, sorry. All right, so, again, these are just observations. Um, disillusionment, I think, is accelerating because of the effects of consuming media. And I mean media in the broadest sense of the word, everything from news cycles to excessive <laughs> consumption of social media to you name it, right? There's, there's just so much more of it than, there, than, than us old folks <laughs> had when we were your age, right? The, particularly the younger generation. It's, it's changed so much. Uh, there's a rejection of reality and the pursuit of alternate realities. And I just use Exhibit A, sort of this, this, these gender conversations, these gender wars. I mean, it's, I don't understand it, but it is a mark of our day. Uh, this deception thing, deep fake, you've probably heard of these terms, deep fakes, artificial intelligence, holograms, metaverse. Again, I, I, heard, I heard a description, someone... <clears throat> on the news was talking about how they attended a concert recently, like in the last couple months. And it was, the concert was a band that was big in the 70s. They, they took the band members, the band members wanted to put on a, a, new, a new tour. The band members were backstage. They were actually playing the instruments, but they made holograms of them from the 70s. So they looked like they did in the 70s. And the comment was, you couldn't tell the difference. You could, I mean, again, mind-blowing. I don't understand how that works. But, but when, you, when you stop and think about truth and reality, when we have this type of stuff going on, folks, we have to stay connected. We have to stay tethered to reality. We have to stay tethered to reality. Because the opportunity to be deceived and to be disillusioned, it is, it is like a rising tidal wave. 
A um, couple other, again, just observations. The acceptance of, of lying, of, of false witness. It's, it's becoming more and more acceptable. Uh, greed, theft, tears of justice, uh, intolerance of Christian beliefs, uh, and justifies the means. Again, just, just these are dots that, that are connecting in my mind um, about where we're at. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a quick dive backwards here in just a second um, and try to, try to tether this to something we looked at earlier, and we're going to finish with, with our great hope, okay? Because so I think it's important that when we, when we look at what's going on around us and about these ideas, it can be easy to become discouraged, to become scared, fearful, Right? And so, so I want to give us some, some points to take home and, uh, and work with. So we've been working through the Old Testament. Um, Pastor Steve has done a, a great job. One of the things I really appreciate about, about Pastor Steve is his ability to go into the Old Testament and pull out the stories of the Old Testament and pull out illustrations, right? We're told that these things were written for our examples. And so you say, well... The word disillusionment doesn't really occur in the, in the Bible, right? It's not, it's not in the New Testament. It's not in the Old Testament. So where, where does this all come from? Well, there's actually an example that I thought of that um, is it from our recent conversations here, our recent teaching, that, that I thought might be, might be helpful by way of giving us an illustration. And so I think I went two slides. Bear with me here. There we go. Abraham and Sarah. <clears throat> So, again, the, the one definition there, when the hard truth of reality, you're, in this case, Sarah's age and Abraham's age and Sarah's barrenness makes you lose faith in your dreams and ideals, right? You have, you have Hagar and Ishmael. So, just to, just to pause on this real briefly here. So, again, the, the, the stories of the Old Testament are written for our examples. That's from uh, 2 Corinthians. We're told that twice, actually, in the same chapter, in verses 6 and 11, that, that that's why we have the copy of the Old Testament scriptures. They're, they're to give us examples. And so, uh, again, just, just to, to put a little bit of color to the story of Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham left Ur at around age 65, and God made this promise to him. He's going to make him a great nation. All right? Now, again, just to give you a frame of reference, Abraham is towards the end of the patriarchs, were the, they were living longer. Abraham died at age 175, all right? So 65 was midlife-ish, right? Um, so uh, God tells him he's going to make him a father of a great nation. And then, uh, so when Abraham's 86, so that would have been uh, 21 years later, and Sarah was 77, Sarah who was aware of this promise, right? They were, she was his wife. She gives Hagar to Abraham. So 21 years, what do you think, what do you think she was feeling? Like, what led to that, right? So I, again, I was just brainstorming here. Sarah was probably kind of frustrated, right? I mean, to desire a child and not be able to have a child would be frustrating, right? Uh, she was, maybe she was angry. We're not, we're not told a lot about her emotional state, but again, just, just common human emotions, right? These are, these are things that are common to all of us. Maybe she was embarrassed. Maybe she was sort of desperate. 
Maybe she was just tired. 21 years. God, is this really, really going to happen? Is this really a promise you have for me? Maybe she was cynical. Remember the laughing incident when the angels came? <clears throat> and she hears the angels talking to Abraham, and she, they, they tell Abraham, you're going to have a child this time next year, and she laughs. And they say, well, why did you laugh? She, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. <laughs> right? I mean, there was probably an element of, I'm guessing, an element of cynicism, right? Um, what about Abraham? What about the guy? What, what about Father Abraham? He, he was probably, similarly, he was probably very uncertain, right? I'm not getting any younger, God. This, this thing keeps going on. Um, maybe, he was, maybe he was sort of unsteady. And what I mean by that, again, my, my thought was, so why would giving my wife giving me her handmaid, why was that a good idea? <laughs> Right? There was, there was something there, right? So he, he was certainly questioning. Maybe he was vulnerable. Um, so all this was going on with Abraham and Sarah. But God gives Sarah that promise. Again, this was a year, a year ahead when the, when the angel was there, that, that she would have a son. And she was 90 at the time. And when she was 91, a year later, and Abraham was uh, 100 years old, Isaac was born. And so there's a lot of lessons in there for us. So life is going to bring difficulty. It's going to bring times of misunderstanding, times of disorientation. We all have those chapters in our lives. Sometimes they be fleeting moments. Maybe they're days, weeks, or even years. But we can choose how we respond. We have a choice. The temptation is going to be to rely on our flesh, to rely on our minds, to rely on our strength, to rely on our ideas. There's going to be a temptation to rely on our flesh. But God is faithful, even though we're prone to error, and if if we're faithless, He remains faithful, and God works all things for the good to conform us to the image of His Son. And ultimately, God fulfilled His promise, right? God fulfilled His promise. So, as we, as we look at this temptation and this spiritual warfare to become, the, to, to possibly experience disillusionment, how are we going to avoid this? So, if you look at the photo there, that is a church that is severely undermined. So, the question is both to us personally as individuals and the question is to us corporately as, as a body. How are we going to avoid the undermining effects of disillusionment and deception in our day? And so I wanted to point us back to the scriptures and I want us to celebrate and enjoy what God's provision for us has been here. And I want, we're going to leave here hopefully on a high note. So again... Just a couple, again, this is not intended to be a comprehensive list. This is a partial list. The scriptures warn us of perilous times. So, so consider yourself warned, right? We've been warned. This is what's going on in our day. This is the day in which we live. Perilous times are here because, and I use the capital letter S, sin in the broad sense. Sin as in the sense of this world is ruined by, tainted by, affected by, Big-ass sin. Because Adam's sin, all of creation, 
all of us, all of our souls, we're all tainted by sin. And because of that, there will be perilous times. There are perilous times in different areas around the, in the globe. We just have had very small tastes of it here. Um, and he warns us that there's going to be suffering, again, because of sin. The scriptures remind us that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. So the instructions to us from the scriptures are to practice the one another's. We've talked about those here, right? There's a, there's a whole host of lists of one another's in the, in the New Testament. Um, and to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and, and, and to practice it all the more as we see the day approaching. You know, the statistics say that um, within the church at large, people like uh, the Barna Group have done a lot of tracking of statistics that since COVID, the numbers are still struggling, right? They're still struggling. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Not, not in a legalistic sense, not in the oblig- obligations, but in a, in a desiresome sense. It's, a, it's an opportunity, it's a benefit, and it's a blessing to us. Uh, the scriptures explain to us our sinful nature and Christ's victory over sin and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to come back to that here in just a moment. And then, and then, and then the help the scriptures give us. In, in how to conduct our relationships and especially how to address conflict. So again, these are just some of the, some of the concepts that will help us avoid deception and, and disillusionment. And this is where we're going to come back to Ephesians 2 from earlier. So <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and I, and I read most of it this morning when we, when we looked at communion. But... When you pause and consider our condition before Christ, you know, last week, Brother Darren had a list of things he was grateful for. And one of them was that he lives on this this side of the cross after Christ's death and resurrection. And we should all resoundingly say, yes, I agree. I am very grateful for that as well. We get to look backward we get to look in the rear view. We look back at the finished work of Jesus. Those before Christ had to look forward in anticipation of the coming of Jesus. But we get to look back. And not only do we get to look back, we have, we have the scripture. We have God's word. We have the inspired, written, holy word of God to rely on. And so when we consider that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we walked or we lived according to or in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, who is a spirit. That, that's, I'm, I'm paraphrasing some of the verses here. Just, just think about that condition for a second. To be dead in sin, dead because you trespass God's law, and to be living in accordance with Satan, the prince of the power of the air, that's a terrible predicament. The terrible place to be existing, right? This, the passage goes on and talks about us, again, before Christ, being sons or daughters of, of disobedience and our conduct in accordance with the lusts of our flesh and mind and children of wrath. That is not a, a description <laughs> that we should aspire to, right? We're in bad shape. And, and the picture there... 
I don't know, I, I thought, you know what, you're kind of you're in love with and locked into your sin before Christ. You're stuck there. And then again, in preparing for this week, the beginning of verse 4, but God, but God, because he's rich in mercy and because of his great love. Even though we were dead, it says he makes us alive. He's already seated us in the heavens in a place of rest. He wants to show his riches of grace and kindness towards us to others. And then verses 8 through 10, many of us are probably familiar with this passage. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship. And I... I I changed the word there at the second to the last uh, bullet. We're, we're, we're a work of God's craftsmanship. God has made us something different, something entirely different. The experience of salvation transforms us. We're now a work of his craftsmanship created unto good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. So, as... It's the same picture. It's in brightness instead of darkness. When we're saved and our hearts are locked onto Jesus, God is going before us. He's he's saved us. He's taken us to himself. And he's preparing works before us for us to walk in. And I was was just thinking about that. Like, how how about me? How about us? How, How many of us Beginning in your day, you think about life in that way. God, what works have you prepared for me to do today? What good works have you prepared for me to walk in today? I think I'd have to confess I'm probably pretty oblivious. I go about my day to get my things done, right? I've got my my pressure list that I've got to get through. It's bigger than that. Life is bigger than that. Our purpose is bigger than that. As usual, for those of us who don't speak very often, I am flying through my notes here. So we are going to be we're going to be done here in just a couple of minutes. Um, we can park on this one for a few minutes. So as we consider the spirit of our day, this idea of disillusionment, deception. The other side of that is the spirit of truth. And that's what's going to keep us tethered and keep us grounded. And that, that clause, that phrase, spirit of truth, that's, that's what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a Jesus phrase, okay? And I was looking back at this verse here, this passage. So in the Gospel of John... There's an extended section there in, uh, in the middle of the book of John where Jesus is talking to his disciples probably in the hours before he gets taken, to, take, taken away into, into uh, captivity and, and is beaten and, and ultimately crucified. 
But in those hours, Jesus is pouring into his disciples and he's telling them a lot about himself, a lot about what's coming, a lot about sort of this, this new reality that's going to occur. And he talks about the spirit of truth. And if you try to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, they've followed Jesus for three years at this point. They've seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen the crowds um, both exalt and praise and follow Jesus. They've seen the masses uh, also reject Jesus. They've seen the Pharisees try to capture him. They've seen uh, Jesus walk out through the middle of the Pharisees when they were ready to stone him. I mean, they've, they've seen, all, they've seen uh, the experience themselves where, where Jesus charged them to go out. And he said, I want you to go and heal the sick and cast out the devils. And they experienced all these things. And so they, they have this faith in Jesus. They're following Jesus. And Jesus is telling them, guys, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go away for a while. And to them, it must have been incomprehensible. How can, Jesus, how can you leave us? You're here to establish your kingdom. You are the Messiah. How can you leave? It must, it must have been demoralizing. They, they must have been really struggling with, how are we going to continue on? Why, why did we go through these three years? What about all these things we learned and experienced? What does this mean? And I think if you or I were there, we probably would have felt the same way. I mean, when you're, it's hard to picture it, but if, if we were physically in the presence of Jesus, you know how special it is to be in the, in the physical presence of your, of your friend, of your family, of your spouse, right? These are, these are special moments. And, and they certainly had this special relationship with Jesus, having been with him for three years, and, and all those experiences, and all those miles, literally miles walked together. And now Jesus is telling him, I'm going to leave you for a while. I'm going to leave you for a while. But in John 16, he says, well, I'll back up uh, one verse, he, or two verses. He says, I, I'm, but, I, I now, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So we know how they're feeling, right? We know the experience, the, the emotions they're experiencing. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. I just want to pause there for a second. This truth needs to settle deep in my heart. I know that. I think it's probably a good, a good place for all of us to pause for a second. That Jesus said is to, to our advantage that he goes away because he's sending the helper. He's sending the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to explain why. He says, and when he, that is the helper, the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then he expounds on that. He says, 
of sin because they don't believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father. See, Jesus, Jesus was the one bringing the conviction when he was here. He was the one bringing the conviction of sin. He was the one bringing um, the conviction of what righteousness is. He, w- he was that embodied, that personified. But he's saying that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to convict the world of righteousness and of judgment because the w- ruler of this world is judged. And so, again, Jesus, Jesus personified and brought that with him by virtue of his presence. But now he's telling the disciples, I'm going to leave, and the Holy Spirit's going to come, the Helper's going to come, and he's going to do all these things. And then again, verse 13, he says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come, and he will glorify me, etc., etc. So, what I wanted to leave you with is... We need not fear the day of deception and disillusionment because we have the Helper. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the Helper, is there to help us in all parts of our life. That's why he's called the Helper. (laughs) He's called the Helper. And so this idea of, of the work of of ministry, the work of the, the Great Commission, right? Our job is to be, be faithful, and the Holy Spirit does the convicting. The Holy Spirit does the work, and our job is to be faithful. And so, trying to imagine what it was like for the disciples to process this, Right? And then, and then they had to go, and they had to wait, and then the Holy Spirit came. And then you see the, the transforming effect it had on them. Our ability to live in this day, and our ability more than, than to, to just live, but to, to be effective and to be faithful people, and to, like it says here, that, that, that he will teach you and he will guide you into all truth, that's our anchor. That's our, that's our tie-down. So these, these, we're going to continue to have opportunities come across our, our path. Things are going to happen in our lives. Things are going to happen in our culture. Things are going to happen in our, in our community. That can be disillusioning. They can be distracting. They can trip us up. They can um, make us focus on the wrong things. But... When we're, when we're tethered to God through the Holy Spirit, we're tethered to Jesus through His Spirit, and we're tethered to Jesus through His body, through one another, through our gathering, through our, our conversation, through our, our work and our fellowship. These are all how God knits us together. And so, you know, as I was talking with, with our, our young people um, in my house. We were discussing... At length, um, particularly back to the uh, the documentary that was out recently, um, one of my one of my boys, um, you know, they've they've spent some time 
in Texas at the academy that was referenced there. That was part of that organization, IBLP. And uh, one of them actually even has, has uh, spent some time with, with uh, one of the Duggar family kids. And um, what it boils down to is do we, do we see clearly, do we understand what the essence of the gospel is? Has our heart been transformed? And can we encourage and help each other through the difficulties of life, because we're going to all have those experiences that are, that are challenging, and we're all going to have opportunities to, to, to work through those, and we need each other. We need each other, and God's Spirit's there to help us. So, Hopefully that leaves us with a little bit of a high note that... Um, in the midst of our, our difficult days and our spiritual warfare that God's with us, he's there to help us, and he is, his spirit is there to encourage us in all these things. All right? So let's, let's pray. Let's ask God to be with us and to guide us and to uh, be our light to our path as we go through our, our days and that we would see clearly what's around us. Let's just pause for a moment, and um, Lord, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the presence of your spirit, and Lord, that you give us, you give us discernment, both through your word, through your spirit, and through our, our fellowship one with another. Lord, that we have the opportunity to be members of one another, and to speak, and to share truth, and to share life with one another. Lord, thank you that you've not left us without hope. You've not left us without help. But you have given us all things that pertain to, to life and godliness. Lord, I pray as, as we go forth from here, as we live each day anew, that our hearts would be inclined towards you, Lord, that we would see the good works you've prepared before us for us to walk in. Lord, that we would hear the still small voice that is calling us to walk in a certain direction. Lord, that our hearts and minds would be tethered to, to truth and to reality. Lord, that we would not be given, uh, given in, our, in our thoughts and minds to things that are, that, are, that are separate from or untethered from the truth that you've given to us in your word. Lord, thank you for the chance to, to meet and to fellowship and to worship you in this place and this time. And Lord, we ask that as our, our uh, congregation goes forward into the, the coming week, um, week, we, we, week ahead here with the, the VBS and ultimately as we continue into um, the new cycle in the fall and the uh, opportunity to continue to grow together, Lord, we pray that you would guide us in your truth and that there would be an increased uh, understanding and discernment for the days in which you've called us to live and for the 
the truth that you've called us to share and to speak and for, um, Lord, for there to be fruit in our lives, Lord, fruit that remains. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here today, and we thank you for um, the chance to gather here and to enjoy your presence and your goodness. We ask you would go with us through this week and continue to, to guide each step of our path. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy uh, Independence Day weekend, and uh, enjoy some fellowship. We're, we're out a few minutes early here. <laughs>